Hello and welcome to Reactive's Yellow Room. I am Evi Kiori and this week our podcast takes us to Berlin, where the spy deal between Denmark and the US is shaking German politics just before the elections in September. What are the reactions and the concerns expressed by Berlin and the deal between the EU and the US on a transatlantic data transfer? And returning to Brussels, we are also talking about what does it mean in practice the EU banned two airlines to enter the airspace of Belarus, the Pilots' Association concerns over safety, the alienated Belarusians and the ecological and economic impact. Just to briefly recap and give our listeners a bit of the background story, everything started in 2013 when Angela Merkel's phone was stopped by the US. So, no news there actually, until it was made public that Denmark was involved and had a spy deal with the US. To shed some light on what is happening with this story, I am joined today by Oliver Noyan and Nico Krumayer from Euractive Germany. Hi Oliver and Nico, thank you for joining me today. So, what's more, why is this story still relevant? First of all, that's that's the new novelty. It's Denmark who has been involved in spying on on European, especially German politicians. So this is like the headline. But of course, there are also other things that that we have to keep in mind. Like there's currently an, an ongoing debate, an ongoing negotiation about the new transatlantic data transfer deal because Privacy Shield was put down by the ECJ in December. So that's also something that. And we have to keep in mind why this is so important, especially now. Now, at the time the phone tapping was happening, it was Obama's administration and Joe Biden was informed of the spying deal. Now, what are the concerns expressed? Now that we're going back to how relations used to be, although they never will be again with the, in the transatlantic relationship, we have that same person who is now in charge of the new relationship between the EU and the US. And obviously that person was aware of that. So that raises a certain degree of concerns whether it will happen again, whether it has been happening during that time period, and which countries in the EU are going to help the US next in spying on Europe's leaders. And Angela Merkel wasn't the only one on the list. Because 2013 was an election year, all the chancellorship candidates were under surveillance. Uh, the SPD, who was the second most likely to uh, have the chancellor that year, Their candidate, Pierre Streinbrück, was also being surveilled. And the foreign minister, uh, Mr. Steinmeier, was also being put under surveillance. So now that we're again in the same position of an election year, are the candidates that are most likely to make it to the chancellorship, Armin Laschet, Annalena Baerbock, are they also being wiretapped again? We don't know, but it's a question that bears asking. And from an EU perspective, what are the actions taken when it comes to intelligence and data sharing? We can draw a line to the EU on a general level when it comes to data sharing. So the EU has no competence when it comes to intelligence, but there's currently this um, huge deal that is being discussed about transatlantic data sharing between the US and the EU. Mm-hmm. And now that we explained what is happening, let's just dive into the details. What does this really mean and how is Berlin reacting to the new information coming out? Of course, it doesn't instill confidence. We've got important events that are going to shape the EU-US relationship in the coming years, uh, in the coming weeks. I think in mid-June, we will have the EU-US summit. Uh, we have important other meetings coming up, such as uh, the security and defense 
European Parliament Committee meeting on security and defense issues and the like. So at a time, Europe wants to show a united front in engaging with the US. This, let's call it increase in tensions between the intelligence services of the member states is disconcerting in that it actually weakens the position of the EU in any like multilateral negotiations between the EU and the US. Mm -hmm. And how is this shaping the relations between Germany and Denmark? Interestingly enough, like the um, reaction of Merkel wasn't too harsh to the whole incident. So um, after the Danish, the current Danish defense minister um, said that this collaboration, the spying on, on um, especially the spying on German politicians was unacceptable, Merkel was re reassured and, and said that, it, that she even sees a good basis for clearing up the facts and to establish relations of trust also in regard to the US administration. So interestingly enough, the reaction in Germany itself, had, on a political level at least, um, wasn't that harsh. The official line of the strongest party in Germany right now, the CDU, is that it's acceptable and this was within expectations and there was a certain degree of awareness to this and there is a certain degree of acceptance towards the Danish openness, etc. And do you think they will use these uh, new developments during their election campaigns? Could this give them a push somehow? As we are in an election year, certain parties want to be seen as hard on these kind of issues. The Greens have condemned it quite heavily. The SPD, uh, the Social Democrats, are also quite critical of the surveillance and they're using it to sort of distinguish themselves politically from the CDU and their uh, establishment vibes that they're giving off. So they're using it as a sort of uh, election campaign strategy. They might feel more, much more violated in their privacy, especially in Germany. Privacy is a very touchy topic due to the Stasi past. Like Germany is the self-professed number one data protection country in the world, probably. And I think that that kind of population is going to be especially sensitive to information that its politicians were under surveillance by an ally or even a neighboring state, and that that information was then shared across the Atlantic. From a political level, when it comes to German election, there it's it's of course something that can be used to to establish um, um, different views on the topic to 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 get more voter support. So, in in regards to to the German election, yeah, this is absolutely true. You're listening to your Active's Yellow Room. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other EU policy fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. You can find them on your favorite podcasting app. And now moving on a different topic, this time Belarus, that remains in the spotlight after the detention of Roman Protasevich. This time we are talking about what does it mean in practice the EU ban on airlines to enter the Belarusian airspace. To hear more on this story, I spoke with Sean Golden Carroll, Euractiv's transport editor. So, last week we explained on our podcast what is actually happening in Belarus right now from a more political and diplomatic perspective. And just a reminder for our listeners, the Ryanair flight from Athens to Vilnius was pulled off the NISC due to a bomb threat allegedly made by Hamas, the terroristic group. And of course the bomb was never found, and the real reason was the detention of the journalist Roman Protasevich. The EU expressed its fury and concerns and imposed sanctions. 
So focusing on the decision of the EU to prevent airlines from entering the Belarusian airspace, it's important to understand what does that mean in practice. The leaders agreed on a series of conclusions from the summit, and they called on all EU airlines to avoid flying over Belarus. And uh, a day or two later, EASA, which is the European Aviation Safety Agency, an EU regulatory body, they released a safety information bulletin, which basically said the same thing, that they've determined that it's not safe to fly over Belarus. Um, it's up to individual member states to decide on where their airlines can go. But essentially, all EU leaders were in agreement. So it was a de facto ban on, on flying over Belarus. They also announced a ban on Belarusian airlines from entering EU airspace and accessing EU airports. So essentially, Belarusian airlines can't fly to the EU anymore. Um, so this is actually costing Belarus money. Um, the reason for that is that uh, it's if you're flying over the territory of a country, um, it's not free. You have to pay a fee for that. Um, and Belarus was then charging EU flights that were crossing over Belarus. Um, and in 2019, it was estimated that the country made around um, 85 million euros in air navigation charges. So uh, uh, because uh, EU flights are no longer flying over Belarus, a large chunk of that is now of that revenue is now gone. And how is this decision affecting the citizens, uh, meaning Belarusians, because they were already alienated and now maybe even more than before? So it means that um, essentially those uh, citizens that were go that were traveling to the EU, um, particularly the elite of Belarus, um, they're now affected. They're essentially no longer able to go into the EU. So this is, uh, you know, a targeted measure to make life more difficult for those who were already in a privileged position of, of um, accessing the EU. What impact does this decision have for the airlines and from an environmental perspective? It's a sudden change. And of course, it causes logistic headaches for the airlines. Um, they had to all of a sudden um, change their established flight paths. Um, so basically, they, they use software to map out alternative routes. Um, they also had to change all their schedules. They had to inform customers that the departure and arrival times are changing. Uh, and they had to re-roster their staff, um, who now had shifts extended because the flight times were uh, quite a bit longer. They had to call up new staff to help uh, fill in gaps and so on. So, of course, um, you know, a significant change isn't necessarily easy. But one thing that Eurocontrol, who's uh, the air traffic management, uh, management agency, um, they've estimated that because of the rerouting, because of the longer journeys, emissions have increased by more than 250,000 kilograms of CO2 per day. NOx, which is uh, air pollutants, they've also gone up by over 1,200 kilograms per day. And the reason for this is that um, more than 79,000 kilos uh, additional kilos of fuel are being burned daily. And how did the airlines react to these new measures? Look, burning more fuel, it's of course pushing up the cost for the airlines, but regardless, um, the airlines that I've spoken to, they're accepting of the guidelines. I mean, they don't want to put their cabin crew in danger. They don't want to force their pilots into a dangerous situation. And if they're getting information that Belarus is no longer safe, then you know they'll uh, adhere to that information. So um, A4E, which is a, a group representing a lot of European airlines, they said that they're following uh, EU and national guidance and they, they want a full investigation into the circumstances surrounding the forced landing. They, they released a statement saying that A4E stands with our member Ryanair and the wider aviation international community in condemning any unlawful interference with passenger aircraft. 
And what about the pilots? I mean, they're the ones in the front line here. Pilots uh, actually uh, are, of course, outraged by what happened. Um, and they say that, that this incident will erode trust in the, in the wider system. So the European Cockpit Association, which is an industry group that represents pilots, they basically said that they're, they welcomed the decision to close off uh, Belarusian airspace. And um, I spoke to them and they gave me the following statement. They said, if pilots fly over a country and can't trust the information by air traffic control, then no one on that flight can feel safe. Scrutinizing and doubting the information keeps you distracted as a pilot and ultimately impairs safety. And they said that Belarus has discredited itself as part of the civil aviation system. So they were they had a strong reaction, of course. And finally, do we have a future plan or actions that we can expect? So one thing that I think is important to point out is that the EU has demanded that Roman uh, Pratisavich and Sofia Sapega be released. They haven't just called for their release. They've actually written in the summit conclusions that um, it's demanded that they are released. So if that doesn't happen, um, we'll have to see what the consequences are. But, I mean, in my opinion, look, the, the EU can't allow a precedent that an EU flag carrier can be forced out of the skies, you know, essentially hijacked by a state for political reasons. Um, it's not something the EU should tolerate, um, and it needs to follow through with these sanctions. E even though they are uncomfortable um, for the aviation industry, they may be uncomfortable for member states, but I, I think the EU really needs to be seen to stand up to this type of intimidation. Thank you, Sean, for being with me today. And our time is up for this week. I am Evikiori, and this was your Active's Yellow Room. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, visit youractive.com for the latest news. And don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app.